Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. My name is Richard Sparrison. Today, the topic is PPAs, and which I think it would be fair to say remains a bit of a hot topic. I'm joined by Katrina Bakke of AFRI, formerly Poirier Management Consulting, and my colleague Ola Vilnes. A warm welcome to you both. Thanks. Thank you. Katrina, let's start by discussing the current market. Would you be able to tell us what happened last year in terms of PPAs in the Nordic region? How does it compare to, to previous years? I think what we've seen going back a few years is that there's been almost an exponential growth in PPAs and especially looking at corporate PPAs. Mm. It's easier to follow them because they are marketed in a different way. But there's been a definite sort of almost exponential growth all the way up until 2018. In 2019, volumes are a bit lower or were a little bit lower than they were in the year before, but still higher than the years before that again. So it's sort of a still quite a hot market. And it seems to me that most projects are now being financed based on long-term PPAs. We don't really see that many projects being exposed to market risk for, for the entire volume. It's, it's a requirement from the banks, it seems. But have you got some numbers, for example, the volumes, how, how the years compare? We only have volumes for corporate PPAs. And of okay. course, it's not necessarily complete because mm. it's dependent on actually people making them public or us being able to observe them through other, other means. But from prior to 2015, we didn't really see any corporate PPAs, or at least very low volumes. We had Google doing a few. And then it all peaked in 2018 with about six, six and a half terawatt hours of new uh, volumes being committed on PPAs. Mm. Uh, last year, I think we were more in the range of around four terawatt hours. So it was a bit down. But I think 2018 was the year of some really, really big contracts, like the Mark Bigden contract, for instance, that, of course, pulled volumes up, even if maybe the number of PPAs went that big. The <laughs> corporate PPAs is just as part of the market, I would say maybe around one third, maybe a little bit more. It's the utilities and traders that offer the most of the PPAs. Mm. Um, and then... The volumes are a bit harder to, <laughs> to follow, as I said, but we see that the number of projects being committed are growing. And that should indicate that also the, the underlying PPAs are growing. It's a very complex marketplace in a way. Uh, and what you've been describing now is mainly the, the corporate PPAs, mm. Katrina. So I'm just wondering if for the, for the benefit of those listeners out there that may not be able to differentiate between a, a corporate or a supplier, or could mm. you just briefly summarize the main types of, of PPAs that are out there? Yes. There if were. that's possible within a minute, <laughs> I, I don't know whether that's possible. Well, 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 you could say that the typical PPA that we have seen traditionally I mean, in, in the Norway, for instance, we have had for a long time had long-term bilateral contracts between hydro producers and industries. But the typical PPA that we've seen in the wind sector is a utility buying directly from the wind farm. And the utility could be the typically Startkraft, Vattenfall, Oxbo, or it can even be a trader that goes in and takes that role. So that would, we would call the utility PPA. Mm. A few years back, I started to see a new development when 
corporates, so the typical industries in the Nordics, what we've seen is the aluminium companies like Norsk Hydro and Alcoa, and also some of the owners of the big data centers like uh, Facebook and Google and Amazon for their their, uh, warehouses coming in and entering directly into contracts with the wind SVP. And that is what we then call the corporate PPA. Exactly. It's part of the kind of, it's not exactly greenwashing as such, but it's it's more of an, a desire to be as sustainable and to appear yes. to be green as, as I, possible. I, th- I think for industries and companies, they have various sort of means of becoming green and documenting that, that they are sustainable. So for some industries, it's sufficient for them to go into the market and buy for instance, a GOO. Mm. Guaranteed uh, <laughs> no, guarantee of origin, correct. But for other industries or other companies, they, they want to make sure that they have what they call additionality, that they can be able to go out and say that, okay, we went into this contract and because of this contract, this wind park is being built. We can sort of point to the wind park that is a rest, <laughs> sort mm. of feeding us electricity. So that was built because of because of us. Because basically. of us, yeah. yes. Yeah. So that is clearly a motivation for many players in this corporate PPA market on the off-taker side. But we also have in the Nordics companies like Norsk Hydro and Alcoa, who they're already buying hydropower. They can already say that their electricity is green. And I think for them it's actually been a good deal, basically. I think they've been offered now win contracts that are really competitive with what the hydro producers are willing to give for the long-term contracts. Yeah, I think also we've seen that also in the, some of the news reporting that there is an increased competitiveness for wind in these PPAs. Yeah, and, uh, definitely. And is that something you expect even from solar perhaps potentially in the next uh, five years? No, not necessarily in the Nordics. We see solar being merchant in uh, Southern Europe. For Southern Europe, you would maybe expect to see the same development for solar. But it's difficult to see at least big scale solar being developed (laughs) with a small caveat to that. And that is that in Denmark and also in Southern Sweden, Solar is now being built with very low subsidies and market exposure. And some of them, they actually do have PPAs. When you say merchant country, now you, you mean, I mean, basically profitable, so yeah. private, private, pr- yeah. private profit, basically. Yeah, I mean, it kind of makes <laughs> sense. because it's, 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 it's more windy in the Nordics and it's sunny in Southern yeah. Europe. So, you know, that, that kind of follows the, the fundamentals <laughs> of these markets. But has there been any kind of, you know, noticeable trends that you've seen over the last uh, few years in, in, in the PPAs? I mean, have, you know, we've seen more and more of the Google, the Amazon, the Facebook wanting to come into the mm. Nordic region. Are there any other sort of standouts or, or things, sort of interesting developments that you wish to, to share with our listeners? I think the trend has been, in a way, away from the PPA being a route to market instrument. And what I mean by that is that when you have subsidies that guarantee your income, you don't really need hedging of the of the of the price in order to get a bank loan or bank financing but if you don't have a subsidy uh, you need a sort of project is merchant in a sense in order to get financing you you need to provide some sort of price security and, and the ppa becomes the hedging instrument so over time from so if you look in the long trend that that is what's happened it's the development from the ppa as a 
route to market to being a hedging instrument. And I think the Nordics is in the forefront of that development in Europe, just because the subsidy scheme here has provided much less price security for many years. Another thing that is happening, I think maybe as a result of the uh, hedging nature, is of course that while uh, you have seen in many of the European markets that the PPA price is very often an indexed price. It's moving with the market in some way or another, linked to, to the spot price, maybe with floors and colors, but still it's sort of an indexed price. In the Nordics, what we see very much is a fixed price, very sort of fixed nominal for the lifetime of the project, basically. It's been there for many years now in the Nordics, but it is a trend that we expect to see sort of develop into Europe as they become more dependent on the hedging element. And finally, what we see in the Nordics, and I think that is becoming more and more pronounced, is a trend towards base load PPAs, which means that you're actually keeping the volume risk with the generator. The base load PPA is a fixed volume every hour, every day throughout the year. What we've seen maybe more before is the as-produced PPA, where whatever you produce, somebody buys from you. But then the volume risk then is moved to the buyer, especially maybe with the corporate PPAs. The corporates aren't really willing to take that risk. They want to fix profile and trying to get that. But even utilities we see now is requesting base, sort of offering base load PPAs to the wind parks. And that is, I think, a bit of a, a Nordic thing. And also maybe a trend that's become even stronger in the last year from the number that we see. Of course, we don't see all of this market. Uh, you also mentioned the um, <coughs> aluminium producers like mm. Norskudero and Alcoa, and they, and they also tend to buy these um, PPAs on very long-term long contracts. Mm. I think even one of them was up to 2050 from Hydro. Do you see a difference there with the smaller companies coming in, that they want shorter maturity on these PPAs? And, and are the um, banks willing to accept that? I think what we've seen from some of the aluminium companies, the 20 and 29 years I think we've seen there, is quite unusual. Uh, most of what we see in um, the Nordics tend to be 10 years plus. And the banks will in general request a PPA that covers the, the duration of their loan. So if you have a 10-year loan, then yes, a 10-year PPA. And since most of these bank loans tend, or financing solutions tend to be quite long, so 10, 10, 10 15 years, that is also the, then the duration of the, of the PPA. And that is a challenge for the market because there are a limited number of off-takers that are actually willing to commit for that long. It might be their budget horizon, it might be their hedging mandate, but unless you are very power intensive in an, in an international market, you don't really need to hedge for that long. Mm. And you can see that in the financial markets as well. Liquidity for long-term contracts is quite low. And I think that is partly a result of the lack of off-takers uh, in that market as well. I think that is a limit to the growth of PPAs. 
the willingness and the ability to develop a market that is significantly long-term on the off-taker side. What about on the other side? You have these big companies like Vattenfall that you've mentioned, you know, etc., uh, Startcraft, Fortum. Is there a limit to how much they can do on this, on, on the PPA front? Because if they were to continually sign PPAs, their, their, their risk exposure would be huge. Yes, Yes, definitely. I don't know where that limit is, but I think it's clearly a limit to how much risk they can take on. And I've also heard larger utilities say that. And um, it's, of course, when they cannot offload that risk into a financial market or to potential customers that they have, for instance, for Startcraft, which has a number of long-term bilateral agreement for their hydro contracts, they can probably also take on quite substantial amounts of wind, but there is a limit to that. Mm. And you could say that maybe more companies could come in and take that intermediary position. But then the bankability of the contract and the bankability of the off-taker becomes an issue. Because if this is going to be used as a price hedging tool uh, as a security in a way or, or a collateral for a for some sort of financing the off taker needs to be bankable it needs to be large and uh, be there in 10 or 15 years you don't want to fly by night merchants no, no. <laughs> <laughs> exactly so so the man and the dog outfit will definitely be out but <laughs> but even i think some of the sort of regional utilities could be too small alcoa needed gieck to support them in order to be assumed creditworthy enough to be a counterparty on one of the big contracts that they went into at Eifjelle. Of course, if you look at the PPAs, it has in a way replaced subsidies uh, mm. across the Nordic region to finance new wind parks. And you are building a lot of wind parks, Sweden, Norway and Finland, quite heavy growth. Is there a saturation coming up in some of these countries that you will see more growth in maybe Finland instead of Sweden? Or, or do you still expect a stable growth? Well, I think... From the off-taker side, it seems that within the Nordics, it's a one market in a sense. So an off-taker in Norway can buy from Sweden, a Swedish one can buy from Finland or, and vice versa. So I think the limitations come maybe more actually on the supplier side. Because as you say, we're building a lot of wind. Uh, we're actually building so much wind that in Avery's view... We are taking away, so at least short term, we are actually reducing the profitability. <laughs> We've been talking in other contexts about this big north-south divide in prices. Mm. And of course, that can mean that you get a stop in developments for a period in certain price areas. And even maybe some companies coming into tr getting trouble because of that in, in the early to mid-20s. And that could change the mood in a way for being willing to enter into these type of And we're talking about the northern parts of Sweden and Norway where we have lack of transmission capacity. Definitely, south, yes, yes, live, yeah. clearly. Mm. And um, what we see is that in the next couple of years you get 25 terawatt hours of new wind coming in in this region. Mm. And the grid takes longer to develop. So even if you assume that everything that the TSOs say will be built is going to be built, you will have 
some years in the early 20s with really, really low prices in this region, especially the capture prices for wind. Because the wind has nowhere else to go. The wind has nowhere else to go. I think if we stick to the issue of prices here, at the moment, uh, Katrina, we're seeing that wholesale power prices in the Nordic region are very low, close to 10 euros a megawatt hour. And the forward curve is below so 30 until 2025. Are these prices holding back investments? They should be. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Although I think the current prices that we see is very sort of weather related. And, and it's a 2020 extreme when it comes to all bad things happening at once. So you have really full reservoirs, you have very windy winter, very low temperatures. No, sorry, very high temperatures. Mm. So low demand from that high, side. High gas prices. Exactly. Sorry, I mean, no, low gas <laughs> prices. Low I, gas. I, I was just testing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also a lot of the interconnection has low capacity these days, just for various reasons. And so it's everything together pushing prices down. And in itself, you would maybe expect investors to look beyond that. The coronavirus and what that means in terms of economic recession and so on is a different story. I think it's too early to to have a view on that. But it's clear that low prices in general, and I think most wind parks, they say that they can have an LCOEO below 30. Mm. But I'm not sure it's really that many sites that can have that mm. or that really do have that. So if that is the level we see, the PPAs will normally be a bit below that. So just for those listeners not aware with LCOE, that's the levelized cost of energy, is it? Uh, that's the levelized cost of energy. Yeah. And it's a long discussion in itself <laughs> what that is, but but it's probably somewhere in the low 30s for most projects in the Nordics at the moment. So that's like the break-even point. That's the break-even point that they will need. Mm. And if you're investing on the basis of increasing power prices, I mean, we do see with our projections that these wind parks with LCOEs at that level, they're profitable. Mm. But of course, when the forward curve is low, you can't really expect to get a PPA much higher than that, probably lower than that. Are any projects sort of threatened? Would, are, is there any danger that some, some of these projects could go under? I think that's a bit difficult to have a view on in a sense. You know, they have secured their sort of minimum income in order to service their debt, presumably through a PPA. And that is going to sort of help them through that rough period. But there is very often a remaining share of revenues. So these projects are barely, probably barely profitable, very marginal if they have it for the PPA volumes. And many investors that would then rely on the remaining volume and the tail end of the cash flow in a way to provide the, the, the upside. And with very low prices, you can get some years where the value of that remaining volume is quite low. That could be a challenge for some of these projects. <clears throat> I heard that on some different conferences that you have like a, a PPA price just below 30, perhaps on a 10-year mm -hmm. deal. And then, but that's maybe 60, 70% of the, of the output, mm -hmm. while the rest is more open in the market. And then many people are looking at your analysis and other analysis and say, okay, they expect higher prices than the market because you can st still see some uh, analysis in the market which mm. says maybe Euro 50 in, in the late 20s. 
and and then it's, it makes sense for them to be open for some of this to capture a, a greater profit from the, for the tail end, as mm. you as you said. Um, where are you on this? Do you also expect a much higher price than the than the market is actually pricing in on the forward curve? We do. Not much higher, but we do have a growing price curve. You might know that we are not very happy to talk about our price projections. No, no, of course, no, of course. So then if, if, uh, if there are further questions, but, they contact you directly, Katrina. But, but yes, we do see, do see our, our price curve is growing going forward. But I think the challenge is that, especially with the base load PPA, you're not capturing the wholesale price or the captured price for that matter for the remaining volumes, sort of the, the remaining 30-40%, that you're not getting the wholesale price for that and you're not getting the capture price. And the reason is that since you have a base load volume as sort of fixed obligation that you have to deliver every hour, that means that if the wind is low, you actually have to purchase that in the market and then probably at a higher than average price. And vice versa, when you sell into the market, you sell on windy days. And if you're netting that effect out, that can be quite dramatic. And you will get quite a heavy discount on those remaining volumes, sometimes underestimated by uh, the market, I think, and the investors. We could talk for hours about this, Katrina, but I think to round off the discussion now, I'd just like to ask you about your expectations for this year. You've talked about some of the issues here, the perfect storm of sort of mm-hmm. a bearish cocktail, if you like. What's the outlook for, for 2020? I know it's, it's a bit early days, you know, it's the early days of the coronavirus, etc. But uh, what, what are your expectations for the current year? I'd like to split it in two in a way. One is what do we have? expect in terms of wind development and then secondly what do we expect in in terms of PPAs and I think in terms of wind development we will start to see the consequences of this big north-south divide so investors are becoming more worried about the north and they are maybe more picky when it comes to where they're developing so while we continue to see a growth it is shifting a lot from north to south for the next sort of couple of years or a few years. And of course, that is affecting the PPA volumes as well. The other thing we see is that we're actually seeing some projects now being developed without the intention of having a PPA. So we're Mm. starting to see some investors of the more financial type that is actually willing to take on some risk. Mm. And, And that is in my in my view, maybe a, a slightly new development. We've been very much into the PPA trend for a long time. I've said that the availability of PPAs could be a limitation on growth in the wind sector. Mm. So, with, if we're actually now starting to see sort of some investors and some banks being willing to take on slightly more market risk, it's actually a good sign for, for wind development mm. in general. Despite the, the protests in, in some countries. <laughs> yes. Despite the protests <laughs> in some countries. <laughs> well, Katrina, thank you for, for, for a very, and all of, thank you very much for, for an excellent discussion. I look forward to taking this up again with you guys uh, later in the year and we can see how the, how the year progressed. So thank you, Katrina, for joining the Montel Weekly Podcast. Thank you. And thank you all, love. Remember to keep up to date with all our stories on Montel News and follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and subscribe to the Montel Weekly Podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you and goodbye.